What's up everybody, this is Noah and Will back with another week of Wrecking Crew Outdoors podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Tim from Analogics Outdoors. Uh, like always, this episode is sponsored by Three Rivers Coffee Company. Uh, y'all check them out, give them some love, buy some products, and we hope you enjoy it. I'll let you, Tim, get started. Um, what What is Analogic Outdoors all about? Alright, so Analogics Outdoors is all about trying to create the most healthy deer possible and we were created by a group of veterinarians and they're entrepreneurs they're hunters and they had a massive die-off of deer on their properties in iowa and nebraska in 2012 they lost up to 80 percent of their herd in some of those areas and they were sitting around deer camp crying in their beer thinking there's got to be something we can do to help this deer herd because they're using technology in these livestock arenas that can can help an animal survive any disease challenge. And it was at the same time when people were trying to get away from vaccines because they wanted to be able to promote that their livestock had never been vaccinated. So they were using these organic technologies that basically takes like plant extracts and makes an animal more resistant to a certain disease. So they basically took that technology and refined it because it was meant to be in livestock, and they, they redid it so that it was whitetail deer specific. Yeah. And then they added added other things like chelated microminerals and, es- and the essential oils, and they've got a top package of probiotics, and, and all of that is working to help boost the immune system of a whitetail because when their immune system is firing on all cylinders, then they can devote more energy into antler growth because we all want big antlers, right? So yes. The way we get big antlers is take care of body number one, and then they can devote energy into antler growth, which is what we're all about. Well, that's uh, that that's unheard of. Like, well, you hit on a topic there that me, my my brother-in-law over here, Noah, he he's a nurse. And my mother works in the veterinary field, and, I, and before I decided to go agriculture science, I was a pre-vet major at Auburn, and uh, we both, mm-hmm. uh, we own a deer processor, so, and a taxidermy shop, so we're, we're kind of well-versed in animal health. Like I said, I've worked with deer breeders, uh, I guess, my whole entire life now. One of my co-workers, at, uh, I'm an ag teacher, so one of my co-workers, P Coach, he's a deer breeder himself, so... Oh, really? Working around all that. and um, I knew y'all was a supplements, but I didn't know that, that it was founded by a, bunch, a group of veterinarians. That's pretty neat for us. Yeah, so I'm, my, my office here in, in southwest Minnesota, um, it's a pretty big building, and, and I share that building with veterinarians that are they're actively working with livestock from Minnesota out to Montana. And they're constantly going to these feedlots and trying to build healthy animals. And they, like I said, they have connections with some of the industry leaders in terms of animal health. And they, they've also got a history of working on vaccines. They had a company that they sold in 2012 that was called Newport Labs. Mm-hmm. And at the time that was sold, that was the number two autogenous vaccine dealer in the whole U.S. as far as livestock vaccines. Well, well. So, they, they, they created some of the first work with the EHD vaccine for deer breeders. And that, that's, I, I guess, uh, I, I don't know, you said you went to Auburn. 
And when my, my brother-in-law came through there, not my brother-in-law, my roommate came through. I didn't come through there. <laughs> <laughs> my roommate came through there. We, um, it was, it was kind of this disconnect between the ag industry and the ag community and the deer industry. And, and it kind of threw me off. And I know it ain't that disconnect all across the country, but here in the Southeast for, I feel like a big part of it is that there's a big which our, our deer breeders are controlled by our DCNR, and mm-hmm. when technically they are a farmer, but that, that's a different story for a different day, I guess. But to right. link them two together and look at it like that is, is kind of how I've looked at it my whole life because my mother is a veterinarian. I've worked on <laughs> that side. We're big in agriculture mm-hmm. too, so I kind of look at it as our animal ag. Well, how are we doing preventing things and doing things on this side that we can relate to the deer industry yeah we we kind of get into the debate with a lot of people that they, they only want free range you know whitetail but ultimately the the deer breeders are a place where we could gather so much more information than we can on the free range side because we can control so much more yes so we've got a farm in missouri uh, it's called Foggy Bottom Whitetails, and that's that's our main research farm. And we have different pens set up that we can do trials so that we can know for sure that it was this versus this, and then we have a control, and we can really manipulate the population to see the impact of what we're changing within the diet. Whereas if you do that in France, you have to collect the individual. You have to harvest them because what we do is a lot of – you know, nutritional analysis. So we're harvesting deer to get uh, a liver tissue sample, and we'll send that off to the lab to get the micro mineral profile of that animal within the last few months. And there's just so many different variables on a free-ranging herd that you cannot account for. Whereas on the deer breeding side, you can account for every other variable, take away the genetics part of the equation, and then also correct for age, and then all you've got left is nutrition. Yeah. So you can really, you can isolate impacts of different testing using the the captive herd, and there there's a market for it. I mean, people want to more and more of these days. People just want to go hunt and and kill a big deer, and they might not want to you know pound public ground like I do, you know, and get after it for a long time period. Some of these guys just want to go kill a deer that's fine you know that's yes to each their own so and and you made a good point there to each their own because that's what we try to explain to people that you know we we are in a bit we're in a business right here at home uh the deer process and that that we we can't yes we do 15 we've done 1500 plus deer last year and uh wow. th- that's a lot that's a lot of work <laughs> And once our, if you've been to Alabama, you know we got like a 90-day rifle season. Mm-hmm. And once that rifle season kicks off, we can't we can't leave. Uh, we can't go nowhere. And we've got to be here to take care of our clients. And that's one thing. Uh, Noah's killed a high-fence deer. Uh, I've been on high fences. Uh, my dad hunts exotics out on high fences. But it, it's the benefit of... If, if now my dad's also we've went to Kentucky and hunted 
public land up there. He'd hunted it for seven years. But the difference is he had time before he started the deer process, and now he don't have the – if he goes somewhere, he's got to – it's got to be a three-day hunt, and he, he ain't got the time to get out and do the ground and pound on public land and spend that time. So it's easier for him to say, hey, I'm going to save up my money, and I'm going to go – I know – I. I'm not guaranteed a certain deer, but I, I know I'll get a chance at something that's probably a good buck. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the way we kind of look at the high fences. And, and like I said, he's my dad's never killed a buck on in a high fence. He's all he's his his big things going to shoot exotics. Mm-hmm. And what what's cheaper over in America versus going over to Africa, which he's been to Africa once, going back this summer and the next. Yeah. So that's no, oh, really? yeah, that that's not something that he's not against going to do. It's just he's he mm-hmm. weighs his options. And the best thing is over here in America, you hunt exotics and high fences, you get to eat it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. you can't bring you get to eat it there in Africa, but you can't bring all of it home. Right. No. That and- don't they donate a lot of that meat to the local yeah. populace? Yeah, they 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 donate it or they sell it for very very like dirt cheap is what they end up. Dad said they either donate it or dirt cheap that they sell they sell it cheaper than them people can go to the market and that to buy it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but but he 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 enjoys go he he enjoyed Africa going back and uh, that's just one thing that we've it, it's hard to make it like make people realize the difference in a high fence and it, it's got to, a lot to do with time and like i know I, I we've got some friends that go elk hunting every year uh, and some clients they've been year after year they went to two of them went last year fifteen thousand a piece and came back empty-handed and, good lord and that, that that's a chance you're taking and they spent mm-hmm. they spent t- 10 to 14 days out there or they could have went to a high fence preserve and killed a good bull for five or six thousand dollars. That, that's your yeah. I'd love the experience, but do I have the time? <laughs> Fifteen thousand dollars on a teacher's salary is a lot. <laughs> do you want it in the Boone and Crockett Club or a Safari Club? Yeah, that's basically it. And then, <laughs> and now if you, what is it? If you uh, if you sell cams, you can't even put it in the Boone and Crockett. So yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they'll change that. I mean, they're getting they're getting to be so popular that I mean, I feel like that'll have to it's change. It's just another at some point. tool. Yeah, it, it's not it's not going to be good. They're going to lose a lot of popularity if they keep it like that. I feel like because there's a lot of people using the cell cams. Well, I, there's already a lot of people that I know, you know, just in the hunting hunting industry that shoot giant giant deer that for for what they are, should be recognized by the Boone and Crockett Club, but the guy will never enter it because you have to disclose, like, location and county, and they don't want that county to get any more attention than it already has. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can promise you as long as we hunt Alabama, we won't ever be entered in the Boone and Crockett Club. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we'll go out of state, and we probably still won't get a chance there, but we'll... we'll <laughs> if you hunt Kentucky long enough, you got a pretty good chance. Yeah, pro- possible the there. Last ten years. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that they they that's a that's a Kentucky's a real good state, and we got some friends that hunt Illinois also. But yeah, I, I was just scrolling through y'all's website here, and I I thought it was pretty cool, and that kind of 
I, I, when you touched on the veterinary part of everything, when it said the liver analysis, I was like, now that that's a pretty cool tool that y'all have that you can send in a deer's liver and get the analysis on it. Yeah, and we've basically taken that technology that I was talking about earlier. We call it Anti-Shield TX4, and we have applied it to many different ways of giving the deer that immune, immune system booster. So we've got, like, granular feed. We've got attractants. We've got liquids. We've got blocks. We've, I mean, for the whole year, you could have a deer perfectly healthy by giving them you know, a little bit of something different throughout the the, the year. Because, you know, in the, in the growing season, you want to concentrate more on the minerals because the protein sources are everywhere. Everything's nice, green, lush, but the mineral sources are lacking. Whereas right now we're getting to the point of the year where they don't need the minerals as much. They're in maintenance mode or they're trying to get their body built up so they can get through the rut and the winter. So they're packing on the protein. So right now is protein season and, you know, here in Minnesota, we cannot feed in areas that we hunt. So we have to stop until the season is done, unless we're not going to hunt here. I've got some groves around here that I do some testing on that no one hunts, and I can just continue to feed in those spots. But part of my job as a wildlife biologist for analogics is to do comparisons of, of our product versus competitor products and, and also do basically taste tests on the wild heard and and see what the preference is as far as you know this versus that just little additives and we're constantly tweaking just making sure we're bringing the best possible product that we can to the market and it's it's doing amazing things to some deer i mean you look at guys like lee lakoski and mark drury i mean their their farms are immaculate like some of the best white habitat on the planet and they were consistently shooting 190 inch deer which 20 years ago was unheard of. And we basically took them from a 190 to over that 200 level in the last three years by feeding the analogics, anti-supplement gold. And it's just, it's increased their average, which was already really, really good. So it's just proof positive that what we're doing really is working. Yes. And that's something that... A, a lot of people don't realize the difference in your attractants and and what the difference they play, whether it's an attractant, a mineral. And, and we got some guys around here that mix their own, which is an attractant and a mineral together. But they don't, they don't and, and we're guilty of it, they don't start putting out their minerals and that until the end of growing season uh, yeah. when they want to which, start getting Which isn't pictures. bad. I mean, it'll no. help your deer for the next growing season, but by the time... Well, here, you know, our, our bucks are losing their velvet by the end of August. If you're just putting out minerals in July, they're pretty much getting pretty mineralized by the end of July. I mean, they're probably 80 to 90% grown at that point, and the, the month of August is just sharpening up and hardening. Yeah. So in order to get the full impact of it, you you do need to do it more throughout the year and start sooner. And. There was uh, some work done out of Mississippi State that showed there was actually a generational impact of supplemental feeding in that fawns that were born to mothers that were supplementally fed did better than fawns that were born to mothers that were not supplemented. And that's because basically the mother's body signals the fawn like, hey, it's good environment. We can devote more energy into antler growth because life is good. 
Yeah. And it's that signal starts as soon as that fawn is being developed in the womb. So that, that's it's never, never a bad time to supplement. No, and that's uh, one thing that um, I, here close by, we've actually got a high fence that is 100% Alabama deer. They they don't they don't sell hunts on it. It's they actually do sell hunts. They sell three hunts a year <laughs> to pay their cost. Ten thousand dollars a piece, and oh, wow. and that's one thing that we we tried to explain to people about. Our state has the genetics to be very good, uh, but when we're sitting here, I take we take in fifteen hundred deer a year. We're looking at ninety percent of that eighty five to ninety percent of that fifteen hundred is bucks, and. Another eighty percent of that's two year olds, two and yeah. a half year old deer. So, mm-hmm. so that that them deer ain't getting their age on them, but they also, I, I feel like our Alabama legalizing baiting has opened up that that they are going to get more minerals. They're going to get more uh, a feed in them when they need it the most when they when there ain't a heavy mass crop or something. But mm-hmm. like I was saying about this farm nearby the. Uh, they got some four-year-old deer on their farm and all the they ain't got no outside genetics brought in it's a family that owned it they only reason they sell the hunts is to pay their cost of the fence and that and it's about mm-hmm. a thousand acres uh and they hunt it and they've got over 200 inch deer on that farm at four and a half years old and it, that's mm-hmm. that's unbelievable to some of our hunters here in the side in the southeast in general and especially in alabama that well they, they, they are, they'll they say them are outside genetics well i know this farm ain't brought no outside genetics in that's now this year they're bringing outside genetics in but right now that's just from them putting the supplements putting the protein putting the feed to them that them deer need to grow that big yeah and that just and that, sh- that just shows how important that, the actual mineral is and the protein is absolutely I mean, I, I have yet to find a deer free range that we tested the liver and it had everything that it needed. Like there's always something missing. And the ones that we have supplemented are missing a lot less, but it might be a, something like copper that just for whatever reason that deer did not get enough of it. So we, we have really highlighted the micros in our mineral package and we've concentrated on the zinc, the copper, the manganese, and the selenium because we know the, those are the limiting resource for the deer that we've tested. And we've done testing all across the U.S. And a lot of guys talk about calcium and phosphorus because if you ground up antler, those are the number one and two ingredients. But none of the deer that we tested were deficient in calcium or phosphorus. They were getting plenty of that from what is in their environment but it was constantly the four micros that they were missing. Yes, they, they don't need as much of them, but they were not getting enough of them. Yeah, and, and, and go ahead. No, and I was just going to say, we actually put that mineral into our protein feed as well. So it's like we are already mixing a mineral with the feed, and it's included right with it. And, and that's one thing you hit on that, that my years at Auburn University has brought up the micro and my, macro, micro and macronutrients. And if you, if it, most people have been around cattle in the South and even in the North and uh, Northwest, if you've had any sort of background in cattle, you know that, yeah, these are micro, 
it ain't because they ain't important and they're micro. It, it's because they don't need as much of them. Or, mm-hmm. or, uh, not as big a quantity, but they're just as important to that yep. that animal's growth or that animal's health. And like you said, the whole, the whole, uh, what am I trying? The whole theme around analogics is growing a healthier deer, and that's what kind of we 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 try to explain to some of our clients is grow, getting an older buck and a healthier deer. No matter how big that antler is, the antler will come in time. But mm-hmm. holding out to kill that older buck and growing a healthier deer herd. Uh, what I put it as a couple of weeks ago is: are we are we hunters or are we conservationists? Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of one of the main main points that I think you hit on real good there, because that that just that sparked some very dark times in college right there <laughs> <laughs> in a nutrition animal nutrition class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that's uh, that that's pretty big to me. That it's it's just hard for a lot of hunters to understand that it takes four years to grow a four year old buck. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it, it does, and. Oh, we we've seen it so many times, and and people, everybody to each their own on baiting or, or hunting over feed supplemental feeding. Uh, we have went in the past two years from a supplemental feeding to an actual baiting permit here in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we do it a lot because we don't have the prop. Several of us, and we got cow pastures a lot of our land so it's hard to plant a good greenfield in a cow pasture if they're going to turn cows on uh, mm-hmm. so we do a lot of supplemental feeding and that but it helps it helps keep pull our deer in there of course but i believe it also gives us especially when you're sitting there with a camera over that that feeder you get to, you kind of seeing what you've got and i, I believe down the road it's going to help Hey, some of these hunters are going to hold out because, well, this buck just came in and behind this buck's been this bigger buck and mm-hmm. I'm going to let this one pass and then he might not see it again for the whole yeah. season. So, And it also helps you get, you, you can get better at recognizing individual deer so you can see from one year to the next, you know, hey, that's that same deer. Wow, yes. he, made a, he made a big jump. Yes. So it it's crazy to me how how much deer can change from one year to the next and also how some deer stay the same from one year to the next. I mean, when you think a deer is this age and then all of a sudden the next year he's like the same, it's like, well, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In in another sense, I mean, deer that I thought were ready, they get another year under their belt and it's like, wow, that deer grew, you know, 40 inches from last year and that's insane. So. Well, I, 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 I've got a story about that too, and I know my brother, my brother-in-law ain't getting much to talk about right here. Hey, I'm just sitting and listening, uh, learning. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I said, I have a deer farmer that's a buddy of ours. He 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 works with me at the school, and um, he, he had his his big breeder buck last year. His 270 inches at two and a half year old. Yeah, he's got good genetics. He's fairly typical deer. He ain't a Christmas tree antler deer at all. Um, and it, it threw me off because I hadn't ever heard it, but he, it, this year he threw 400 inches, but with a lot of palmation. And, um, he said, he said, I feel like I might've overbred him and to throw, he said, cause he was beautiful last year. 
and his genetics don't call for that palmation. And then he said this year he threw, he, yeah, he went 400 inches at three and a half year olds. That's a good deer. But, but it's you're a lot of deer. He got a little trashy. Yeah, he got, he got real trashy, but he bred him at two and a half, I think, to nine deer, nine does. And he said, I feel that's, he said, I usually try to keep it within five or six does that I let him breed to. He said, I feel like I went, mm-hmm. I stressed him out too much and it affected his growth the next year. Yeah. yeah, people don't think about that as a stressor, <laughs> but I mean, it's exerting energy. So, and and, yeah. and that that comes back to a good big topic here in the southeast, where we we have a very high doe to buck ratio. Mm-hmm. Trickle rut. Yeah. So how how is that affecting our deer, our, our buck growth? It might. It, I know it ain't probably affecting it in major, major ways, but it, it's affecting well, it, it somehow. It, it happens more uh, in southern Alabama, where they've got some deer that aren't getting bred till, I mean, March. Oh yeah. So, I mean, those those buck fawns that are born to that doe that was bred in March. I mean, he's at most going to be a two inch spike, you know, when he's a year and a half old. So. They're just setting themselves behind on the on the growth curve just because they're starting so late. Well, I, I, and, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a matter of you know if you fall fall behind, you're left behind. It just takes them so much more time to to try and get caught up, and that's why it'll take five or six years for them to grow a good set of antlers because they're just so far behind. Well, I, I got. A story of that too because this 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 bow season opening week for me um i had a doe come in and there's another deer come in with it no and it was it was getting a little dark it was hard to tell and i waited 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 and the one gave me a shot same size bodies uh big body like 100 pushing a 90 to 100 pound doe i shoot and it ends up being a a knothead, and oh, really? that, that was a, that's a late born. Uh, de- so that was a, that was a year and a half. Yeah, that's a year and a half old deer. <laughs> he he was big. I'm not. He's as big as any doe we have sitting in the meat fruit cooler right now. <laughs> but it, it it just happened to be, and I'm talking about his knots. I couldn't see them. And now you 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 call me a liar when you see the video. <laughs> because <laughs> that camera draws in a lot more light than my eyeballs do <laughs> and the camera i'm like because uh, i came back looked at the footage before we went and tracked them i was like crap that's a daggum button head i shot <laughs> i like dang and i was self-filming so if i had a cameraman with me i i wouldn't have probably shot him but that that, that was a perfect example of that that de- that shows you we have a lot of does in our, in our area in South Alabama uh, across the state we have a lot of does and pe- people think that they they're only going to come in that one time is what a lot of our hunters think and when you, we got so many of them they're going to come in till they get bred yeah mm-hmm. and most of the time I feel like and now that's not coming from a biologist that's coming for some uh, an yeah. ag man well, I I know just looking at the because I, I did my work on reproductive success of female whitetail deer in the research pen at Alabama, mm-hmm. or at, at Auburn, and that was a 490-acre 
high fence research facility, but I also had access to some data that the state had collected. They basically just would go out and shoot some does and then measure the fawns that they collected from those does and they could backdate conception date. Yep. And the interesting part was that like you could tell where like black warrior, you could tell where those genetics came from the North because they, they still had the November rut, but then, you know, the farther South you get, the later it gets, yep. but the, the conception rates were so high. I mean, they, it, it was so rare for them to shoot a doe and have no fawns in it. Like it was, it was above 99%. The, the conception rate was, was insanely high. So it, it might take them a couple cycles, but they're going to get bred. Yes. I mean, uh, and, and that's yeah. what I, we, I, my dad has a, knows somebody that's seen a buck chasing a doe, pushing a doe during turkey season here. And, uh, <laughs> it's just going to happen because we yeah, sit here boys will be boys. yeah <laughs> and we sit here and we're we're in fort Payne, alabama we we're in the middle of three distinctly different ruts and um really and, and on our on by the state by by the state's data and by what we pull in here because all of our big bucks from cherokee county along that georgia lines coming in First week of rifle season, uh, they yep. slow down uh, up here on the up here on Lookout Mountain, over into the valley of uh, Fort Payne area. Up on that part, it starts right around Christmas. That's the peak. Yep, uh, the, the first of the year. Yep, and then January, early January hits the Collinsville Sand Mountain area, and towards Marshall County for us. And we we sit here and we pull out uh, fetuses. From that last week of January, from Cherokee County, it's if there is a doe come in, we're pulling a fetus uh, mm-hmm. without a doubt. And we 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 yep. my mom comes well, out. You, we you think she she takes two hundred days to build the fawns, and by that point she's about seventy or eighty days in. <laughs> yeah. So and, yeah, and we're we've pulled out deer. Uh, end of January, we pulled out babies that date back to con- the date of conception was uh, the week the week of our muzzleloader season we've had them before muzzleloader season and they changed up our season i don't know if they had been talking about this when you were doing your research here they changed up some of the seasons like around chocolate management area they mo- moved it to november 1st i think is open a week of rifle season they moved the uh, both season and and that's the reason is because that rut comes in yeah capture some of that rut activity yep they yep. have enough data there that's because they've been they've been hosting an early early bow hunt on that place and an early rifle hunt every mm-hmm. year and finally they just bumped their whole season up about two weeks. So so that that's yeah, something. That, when I was there, they were they were more working on the extending the season in far southern Alabama because there were guys that wanted to captured that february rut well well they 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 extended it for far far south south alabama for one year and then they opened it to the whole darn state (laughs) for the rest of the year yes and you talking about you talking about look we we love what we do but but the nwtf is five days away from the end of season and that sucks Oh my gosh! <laughs> we can't. We're processing deer after the NWTF convention, so that, that's pretty bad. 
Wow. Yeah, I was that's, like, that's an extended season. I mean, here here in Minnesota, our main gun season when we kill, you know, upwards of seventy five percent of the deer across the state, it's nine days long. Wow. <laughs> that and when we've we've talked about that of growing that older class of bucks and and pulling away some of our our taking rifle, away our rifle season like taking that. away some of our rifle season and I, Alabama in the southeast in general probably it it's hard to pinpoint it in like you said a nine day season because because like we are in between three ruts we're, right we're here at. but we could probably go down right. to a forty five day yeah, rifle we don't need season ninety days of rifles. <laughs> And our book class is going to get older if that oh, happens. Yeah, for sure. Right. And with, we would like to see a muzzleloader season. With Minnesota, if we get a winter storm that happens on opening weekend, I mean, the harvest rates go way, way down. I mean, it's like a catastrophic failure of the hunting season because <laughs> nobody wants to sit out here in the cold. Well, I mean, they, I've, they I've been fly, to but... <laughs> I've been to Minnesota. That's where I actually shot my high fence deer, and yeah, it's a whole different kind of cold from here. <laughs> so yeah, it's like it's it's late October here, which normally our average is in the fifties at this time of year. This morning it was fourteen degrees. Oh in, no, here in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would suck holding a bow at fourteen degrees. <laughs> like we're gonna be ice fishing on Thanksgiving this year, which <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> My, my mom shot a uh, deer and a high fence up in Wisconsin one year, and we went up there, and uh, that they got, I think Wisconsin gave them like a, it's a farmer's tag or whatever. Okay, and, like and, a depredation yeah, tag? Yeah, uh, we went up there, and my dad didn't even want to go, he was just going to pay for the antlers just to mount it and put it in the taxidermy shop for people to look at. But the guy wouldn't go out there and shoot it and send yeah, it us was his a, It was a sick a deer got sick. Yeah, or it, got hurt. It, they, this farm that we went to, like they didn't, they didn't saw off their antlers like a lot of guys around here. They didn't uh-huh. dart their deer. They they just let them like they pushed them with four wheelers in the pens and they were like wild. And uh, they had really? their they had their own preserve and breeding pens and like these deer were it's two hundred fifty six inches at the end of January. And they're fighting, and he got gored in the mouth, and he he was kind of weak and was afraid they was going to lose him. They wanted something. Dad said, well, I'll, I'll buy the antlers from you if you just send them down here. And he said, no, we're going to try to sell it. And he said, well, I'll just send my wife up there to kill it. And uh, we went <laughs> and up she there. she didn't have no problem saying yes to that. <laughs> no, we went up there. It is negative 60-degree wind chill. <laughs> <laughs> they got a. They said there ain't no snow on the roads. Bull crap. There might not be snow on the roads to y'all, but that's snow on the roads to us. <laughs> uh, it, if it, we get a couple flakes on the road here, we're shutting Alabama <laughs> down. Oh, I I know what it's like down there. When I was at Auburn, there was a chance of snow, and they canceled school. <laughs> it was nice and like it, it never actually hit the ground. Like it, it might have been some flurries in the air, but nothing accumulated. <laughs> Well, that's what we've always told people. Our slowest days here at the deer processor during the winter is on Iron Bow Saturday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Christmas and Thanksgiving, they kill oh, them like crazy. them, but if Alabama and Auburn's playing, nobody's hunting. <laughs> no, nobody hunts, uh, unless it's a late game. If it's yeah. a late game, they'll go hunting. But uh, uh-huh. uh, Iron Bow Saturday, and if it snows, it shuts our – they don't – either people don't want to get out, or, and it shuts – now – 
if it's a long snow, eventually they have to get up and eat. But if it's mm-hmm. a quick snow, it shuts our deer movement down completely. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I, I was all excited, you know, being from the Midwest. We, you know, one of those Alabama cold fronts came through where it got, you know, below freezing. And I was all excited. And I got in, out into the stand and it was pitch black. And I was thinking I was going to have the deer come alive and be all around me. And I was like one of the slowest mornings ever. And I said to my professor about it, he's like, yeah, the Alabama deer, they... They don't like the cold as much, so they kind of hunker <laughs> down during. They're it. trying to hibernate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they don't they don't like to. That's what we always said. If it, if it's a heavy frost, and if it's a heavy frost, we don't usually see our deer until that frost starts thawing. Yeah, ten, eleven o'clock, mm-hmm. and, and we're we're hunting travel routes, bedding areas, and feed uh, food source, and we don't see that until about 10 or 11 o'clock like noah said and it's it's a funny thing about auburn it did snow when i lived down there and up here in north alabama we get a snow or two a year we're used to it yeah we shut down they shut down school but i think that's just an excuse um to do so but we have like road graders they have some of our road departments even have plows they'll go plow the roads and salt the roads or they put whatever that stuff on the roads that slag Mm-hmm. Auburn, it snowed. It came a big snow down there when I was down there. First time I, half of them kids had ever seen snow. And I was like, well, this ain't nothing. And they're out there with a pickup truck and a bumper hitch salt sp- or a feed seed spreader pouring 50 <laughs> pound bags of the city of Auburn in a city truck pouring 50 pound bags of salt to go over overpasses. <laughs> I thought that was the freaking most, that was the hilarious thing because. It got cold enough to snow up north, but the rain band wasn't there, or the moisture band, so it never, it never hit up here. It just hit Auburn, and that, it was like I was like, well, you can tell they never had this before. <laughs> uh huh. Oh, crazy. It's, uh, it's 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 crazy how the hunting varies and how deer movement varies from up north. And even when I went up there to Wisconsin, we was talking about. They gave my mother the option shooting that deer, actually going in the preserve and shoot, and actually going to hunt the preserve. Um, mm-hmm. And they they even said on the preserve, they said when it's this cold, they said our deer ain't moving. They said we're gonna have to put on man drive to get a deer up. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because they're trying to just max conserve energy yeah. when it's that cold. He he said we're gonna get in the thickets and that and try to just push them. It pushed something your way, he said, because they said it, it's, and it was. I, the the action of my mother's gun froze over as soon as we stepped out of the truck. Oh, <laughs> I was like, this is ridiculous. You go have fun. I'm going to sit in the lodge. Mm-hmm. No. When it gets that cold, you can pretty much spit and it'll bounce. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was like my whole face had ice all over it. And I was like, this is this is ridiculous. If I had to live up here. I, I quit and sell everything I had <laughs> once it got this code. So, that's, yep. So I see. I seen where you said y'all do a lot of work with the juries and uh, the t- or the Lukowskis. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just on uh, Lee's farm here a little over a month ago. We've got a bunch of uh, food plot test sites on his farm, which I'm super excited about because it's just one more key one more piece of the management puzzle, you know, getting good quality food plots and, you know, places like Illinois, 
none of our nutritional products are legal. You know, you cannot put any mineral in the ground, even in the off season in Illinois. So the food plots are, is an area where we can expand and, you know, we wanted to do it right. And Lee's got 20 years of food plot experience that he's been working and tweaking on different things. And he basically needed just one more growing season to make sure he had it a hundred percent right. And he did. <laughs> well, that, that to me is pretty awesome. Cause like you said, they, they are, they've got it going on their farm without that when they don't have to travel to produce a show, very little travel. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're, doing, <laughs> You're right. doing something right without a doubt. And that's, uh, they, they, they've got it going for sure. And, I didn't, uh, y'all ain't got none of the food plot stuff available yet, do you? It is not available yet, but at the first of the year is, well, it was originally going to be launched at ATA show, which ain't happening this down. year, so. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's going to put a little, that's going to throw a screwball for everybody. Yeah, the whole yeah so we're, we're going to be doing a lot more, I'll, I'll call it old school marketing, where we're going to have to, you know, call and, and get in contact with dealers that we would normally see at these trade shows because I mean, it it was easy that we could just set up a booth and the dealers would come to us. Now we're going to have to go to them and, Mm. and make sure that they, they get stocked up with everything that is, it's going to be a hot, hot item. I mean, we know it is. So what, if you, if you can't say it, that's fine. What all types of seeds are going to be or seed mix are y'all looking at? at At a high level, we're doing, you know, some clovers, we're doing some brassicas, and we're doing some diverse mixes that no matter where you plant it, something's going to do well. Yes. And and we're going to have, you know, one that's going to be a quick established plot, you know, kind of your throw and grow variety. And then we're going to have everything from that to the highest level, you know, like the reconics of food plot level. It's going to be the most expensive perennial food plot you can buy, but it's going to last 10 years. So, I mean, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And the the protein levels that we're seeing in this is just through the roof. The drought resistance. I mean, Iowa, they, they, had, a, they had a pretty bad drought the last part of the growing season. But these plots were looking phenomenal because they threw such amazing tap roots in the early part of the growing season. I mean, that the drought looked like it didn't even phase them. Like they just looked like really lush green plots. So yeah, that that's it, it's nice to have something that you can. Which we plant green fields. We used to plant a winter wheat with some uh, brassicas of some mm-hmm. sort, whether it's rape or turnips. Uh, most of the times, what we plant, uh, we mix something in there with that winter wheat. Um, but to grow something that either is year-round that that you can benefit off of a mix that's year-round, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I know everything's not growing year-round. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and the tough part about perennial food plots in Alabama is they get burned out during the middle part of the growing yep. season. So a lot of the guys down there are planting those in the fall, and then basically getting a fall and then a spring out of them, and then you know try something different the next year, but. Um, if you get enough drought resistance, as soon as it gets rain in the fall again, they'll pop right back up. Yep. And that, that's that's something that's... And I don't believe a lot of people... I know, 
when when you're planting a lot of food plots and that, I, I know personal experience. You a lot of people try to go with what's cheapest, and um, that's not always the best. Like mm-hmm. uh, rye grass, mm-hmm. uh, that's a cheap one for us, and versus planting going a couple more dollars and planting you some winter wheat <laughs> that'll about sprout on concrete too. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it amazes me what some people, I mean, they'll spend $2,000 on a bowl, but if, if they're going to lose 30 bucks to another product, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yep. Uh, we, we, we see it all the time. That's what we, we sit here and we say, well, uh, but talking about people not wanting to go there, I said, man, uh, you just go out of state. I can't afford that. Well, I, whether you go to a high fence or go hunt public land or go whatever, well, think of how much you spend here to hunt Alabama a year. Yeah, yeah. even if it is private land, like farm land that you have, it, the money that you're spending on stands, minerals, food, Feed. cameras, people don't factor all that in. They say, well, that's just how it is. I mean... And people aren't shooting the deer when you could go to a high fence in Kentucky, Illinois, somewhere and shoot a big deer. Or for, just go spend a week yeah. on Higgins and Henry Mansion area yeah. in Kentucky and, and have a shot at a good 170 deer. inch deer, possibly. Right. And what is it? I think four hundred dollars, three hundred some dollars for your license, and go stay in a hotel or a camp. Yeah, and, and somebody from the state agency has already planted the food plots for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> But, uh, man, uh, I enjoyed having you on. Uh, I hope we can have you on again, maybe next year when we start really planting. If y'all going to debut that, that'd be a good time to get y'all on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I just have looked at, I, I, I was going to say, I was like, well, uh, I know the AEA show, or ATA show, AEA, that's Alabama Educator Association, <laughs> ATA show, um, Got canceled. I said, "Well, that probably boost uh, boost the NWTF." But I just looked, NWTF went virtual too. <laughs> and they're so. canceled too. <laughs> I was like, "They just announced." Yeah, virtual. I, yeah, I don't that, know if I'm gonna want to booth there. Uh, let me let me tell you, uh, <laughs> the National FFA Association, uh, which is our student organization for ag teachers, and that you know, we yeah. uh, they I went was in FFA as a high school. Well, they went virtual this year to their convention, and I was. I was like, well, I'll get my younger kids. It's 10.30 to 10.30, from 10.30 in the morning to 10.30 at night, and they're charging me to go virtual. I said, uh, I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it was just me, maybe, but I said, I'm not, uh-huh. my kids ain't going to watch this after they leave school. I like, uh, I'll pass. But, man, I, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll, we'll for sure try to have you back on one, one day. Yes. Sounds like a plan. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. I, I, I could talk to you all day, so don't, don't threaten me with a good time. Uh, thank you, bud. <laughs> hey, you guys have a good one. You, you too. too. Take care. All right, guys. That's the wrap for this week. We had That was Tim with uh, Analogics Outdoors. If you don't know what, if you didn't know what Analogics Outdoors is, now you do. Um, they got some awesome products. It's an awesome service, really. Um, small world, learning that... Uh, he went to Auburn University also. That's pretty pretty cool. Uh, we got a lot of talking about that done. Uh, once again, check out Three Rivers Coffee Company. Give them some loves, likes, order you some of the best coffee there is. Um, also, uh, go check out 
Cirrus Outdoors, get you a Pro Cirrus. It's got a little bit of everything involved in the Pro Cirrus, guys. If you don't know, if you know about Cirrus out wind indicators, uh, the Cirrus Pro Cirrus is a whole nother level. A whole nother level. It's got everything that the original Cirrus wind indicator has, plus a card reader. And we uh, know y'all sitting on your phone when you're in tree stand. It does have a power bank charger. Comes in handy. We know y'all scrolling through Facebook. We see you taking pictures on there. Not killing no deer, but... <laughs> Especially when the acorn crop is like it is this year in Alabama. So it's pretty bad. So go check them out. Also check out Conviction Outdoors. Uh, game calls. And give them some love and likes. We're going to try to get them on here one day soon. It's just trying to find a time we can all get together. So maybe in the future. Hope y'all enjoyed it. Thank y'all for listening.